podcast hosting for the Run With It podcast is provided by Transistor.fm. Welcome to Run With It, the show that brings you untapped business ideas from successful entrepreneurs. My name is Chris Justin, and I'm here with Ethan Janney. Ethan, how's it going today? It's going pretty well. I'm pretty pretty sure our guest is no relation, but I can't stop thinking about Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and how we both... Oh, there is a relationship. I'm the shorter and wiser cousin. <laughs> <laughs> you were prepared for that. <laughs> you get that all the time, it must be. Apparently, there's a rumor that he's just the, the he, he's not a great podcast guest of, of, of all things, which is kind of funny. <laughs> is it a rumor if you have said that, Ethan, and you're spreading this to everyone that will listen to it? I don't know if that's I have it. heard it. I've heard it from someone else. So that is makes it a rumor. Yeah. And, and it, it's not my personal experience. So that would be also qualified as a rumor. <laughs> Anyways, today's show. We've got a great guest for you. His name is Sani Abdul-Jabbar, shorter, wiser cousin. He's the co-founder at Vestech USA. It's an innovation consulting firm that partners with smart entrepreneurs to get great ideas off the ground. But today he's here to talk about an idea that uh, he actually came up with in a conversation with me, or probably even came up with it earlier, but we're going to dive in deeper. He calls it podcast in a box. Sani, is there a story of what triggered this idea for you? In very early days of my career, I had a very tough experience, challenging experience with sales. One of my first jobs in, uh, a- after finishing business school, I went in sales, cold calling, and it left me with some PTSD. And I just created this sort of self-fulfilling limitation in my mind that I cannot sell. It wasn't until a mentor advised me that you are not a seller, you are an educator. So educator who helps companies, clients in solving their solutions by sharing with them what I know from my experience, from my education, from my you know, knowledge of the industry, offering solutions. So I became an educator. And when I started using that as, as, as a framework for my business development in my business, which is technology consulting, it just became easy because now I'm not selling to you, I'm educating to you. And that became the foundation of everything that we did from business dev perspective in my business, be it sales calls, be it in-person meetings, be it you know, team meetings, whatever. I was always thinking that I'm educating based on what I have learned from my mentors and teachers over the years in my area of expertise. And then you know, podcasting and uh, webinars sort of things became popular at one point. So I started thinking I need to do podcasting because podcasting will increase the reach of my message. Now I can share my knowledge and experience with more people. So that's the story, how I got into thinking about podcasting. Just wanted but, to use that as a, another means of educating people and it turns into a sales channel. But the challenge, my challenge, my personal challenge was who is going to do it? I have a limited bandwidth who is going to create, who is going to ideate, how does this fit in the bigger picture of my business? Then, okay, we created the content, now what? Who is going to distribute? Who is going to market? So all the details. And it turned out that my hesitation, my, my excuses, they are not unique. When I started talking to other business founders and business leaders in some of the groups that Ethan, you and I belong to, and some other groups as well, almost every leader said something along the lines that, I wish I had a podcast 
I don't know how to do it. I wish I had a podcast. I don't have time. I wish I had a podcast. I don't understand tech. Oh, podcast doesn't fit in my business. That was a big one. So one was the who is going to do it. And the second is, you know, how it fits in the bigger picture. The idea of podcast in a, uh, in a box that addresses the who question, who is going to do it. So that's kind of is the background story. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So it's like, there's people out there and we, you know, we're aware of this too, and they might even make a great podcast host, you know, but if they don't have the other skills to bring it all to fruition, it's just not going to happen. So I think we all agree those people exist. So we're talking about today where there's a business behind this. Uh, Chris, it seemed like you you had something maybe to chime in with. What, what do you got? Yeah, and the astute listener will know that this is not a novel solution, but it doesn't have to be, right? There's plenty of room for people out there to do this sort of work. And we did a little bit of research on some of the competitors out there. There's one company that I found that explicitly offers a service called Podcast in a Box. They charge $2,500. And honestly, I think that there's room to go much bigger with this. I think that my impression of Podcast Press's solution is uh, it's a little bit more amateur than someone like uh, Sonny may be looking for. You know, maybe maybe it, it would be a good starting point. Who knows? I think that someone could charge 10K, 15K to, to get something like this going because there are people out there who would see that 2,500 number and say, that's not actually for me. I, I don't want to put out a product that misrepresents my brand, all the loyalty that I've built up with all my other channels and put out something that's that looks bad. So yeah, that's, that's kind of where I think about it. I haven't found anyone out there who is advertising a, a high-end service. Yeah, it could be because they're more niche, you know, and they're, they're sort of going custom and not advertising. Go ahead. Go ahead, Sonny. I'm looking at podcasting as, as a marketing channel. The, the money invested in podcasting that somebody would invest in creating top-notch, top-of-the-line podcast, it comes out of their marketing budget. It doesn't come out of, I want to have a podcast budget because that's not your customer. Your customer is a person who is already spending half the amount on their marketing or want to or have, you know, funded startups. That's my target market. I should talk a little bit about how it fits in a bigger picture. If you look at podcasting as standalone podcasting, somebody want to have podcasts because it helps them with, they are aspiring influencers or aspiring thought leaders, then it may or may not be a best solution for them, what I'm proposing. What I'm proposing is podcasting as a major component of your marketing, regardless of your business, regardless you're a thought leader or not. You have a product, you have a service, you have a business that you want to promote. We're not talking about, you don't necessarily have to have an ongoing podcast forever because, you know, that's a long commitment. You can have a series of, you know, 10 episodes, 12 episodes that you launch on a cadence. When it becomes part of a bigger marketing plan, then it's a different conversation. It's not a $2,500 conversation. Like marketing agencies don't even talk to you for $2,500. That's the market that we're going after. Yeah, I think that that makes a lot of sense. And just to apprise the listener of all the opportunities, right? I think I think part of part of what you're going to do by providing this service is be a bit of a consultant to the people that say, "How can you monetize this podcast?" So typically, the 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 first answer for people who don't know about podcasting, oh, well, you're going to have advertising. But you know, you and I both know 
that your guests can become clients, you know, for some types of podcasts, you know, your listeners can become clients for some types of podcasts. Maybe you're just trying to get your name, you know, more recognized in a, in a general awareness campaign or something like this. You can have private content, you know, you can have courses, you can have a paywall. So there's, there's all sorts of opportunities to monetize having created a podcast. And I think that's one of the advantages you can offer people is you can come in, hey, let's sit down with some analysis and see how we can make some of this money come back to your business. I wanted to highlight another competitor, Resonate. They offer a turnkey B2B podcast solution and they don't charge that much. So at least for the monthly fee they do for enterprise, it's $349 per episode, which for a B2B type of target that is, that's not bad at all. But the thing that really struck me is they're getting 19,000 SEO clicks per month. So there's a ton of volume that they're collecting and that I forget exactly how much that was worth, but it's in the thousands. If they were to try and do that, try and attract that with uh, Google search ads. So there's uh, definitely a market for this. They've cornered it via SEO largely. But I'm interested in how you would get your first client and how you would start that approach. Well, I, I would be the first client of my of this business, first of all, because if I had somebody managing this whole thing and I just show up to talk, that would be my ideal situation. And I already host a show like that, actually, on our metal business club that Ethan and I belong to on that network. All I have to do is show up and somebody else is taking care of all the other details. Beyond that, I would actually start with reaching out to the major groups, business networks, groups of influencers, groups of business leaders. And so instead of going after individuals or individual businesses, we are going after groups. So Metal is an example. C-Suite Network is an example. Um, VIPO is another example. Organizations like that. So when you do that, now you're going after one organization instead of going after 10,000 businesses. By going after one organization, you're targeting all their members. It becomes a whole lot easier. And become the preferred referral partner, for example. Precisely. Your uh, customer acquisition cost is very low. All you have to do is introduce yourself and say, this is what we do. And that's it. I get the feeling that you've done this with Vestech in uh, other ways has no no you're right as i mentioned at the beginning i can't sell i still like when i think of sales i just don't feel like you know this i am built <laughs> for sales so all i do is when somebody brings an innovative idea for a tech startup to me i just walk them through the process this is what you need to do this is how it will be done and if you need help you know we can help you and if somebody wants our help we give them help if they don't want you know, we, we made a good friend. It just happened yesterday, actually, with a new lead from New York. So how does that process change when you're working with these organizations, these, these larger groups? Because it's not so much about a specific problem, right? You're saying, hey, I can help your group members with these sort of problems. It's a different educational conversation. I think, yeah, I think the part of the answer too might be, Chris, you know, what, what's already going on within the group that uh, that Sonny and I are in is people are do, they do sort of regular presentations like a weekly meeting or something like that and they might have a specialty like law or writing or film industry or something like that financial advice 
And just by doing that and giving that information and sort of setting up a regular event, then they get to get some attention and sort of establish themselves as a group expert. So that's definitely one thing you could do is go to an organization, say, like YPO and say, hey, is there any way that I can be a part of some regular event? I'll offer some value here and then people will get to know me. But yeah, if Sani, if you had any other extension of that that you were thinking of, feel free to. So that's one thing. The other thing that I would use is direct marketing as well. I wouldn't count on that direct marketing as in through social media, PPC, for instance. That wouldn't be my primary channel. The reason why I would uh, use those channels to promote this idea, podcast in a box, is mostly to collect data. Who is interested in it? Because at this stage, I'm trying not to say everyone, like any business owner, because when I hear the word, well, my product or service is for everyone, and my response usually is, well, then you don't know your product or service if you don't know your market niche. So at this stage, we, I feel that I don't have well-defined target market for a podcast in a box model. Generally speaking, it's a business that's already spending half the budget on marketing, and this becomes another channel. And basically, uh, they take part of their marketing budget, invest in this. That's the only definition of the target market I have right now, and that's the area where we need to do some more validation and research. And thinking through that, that that's a lot of work to do that because it's uh, for a podcast to be effective. It has to be content that a listener wants to listen to, of course, and translating and creating that content for these organizations. They don't have it off the shelf. They to build that is a ton of work. I'm working with this home healthcare company and they're relatively new doing something like this would be really effective educating caregivers on how they can best help their aging parents during times of COVID. Like that could be, you know, that could be an episode, something like that, but getting those folks to sit down and do this is, is a big ask in itself. So I guess in order to make this happen, it seems like there has to be some sort of internal tipping point as well, where they have reached that point of saying, Hey, we really want to have a podcast. We're going to dedicate resources to being able to create this content. I'm not imagining that this podcast in a box that we would script out an episode for folks, right? You're not going to be able to create the content for these businesses that have this domain expertise. It's just not going to be that effective. Yes and no. First, you're absolutely right. They are the subject matter experts. We aren't. But in my work in product management and building products um, with Vesdec, the very first thing, if I've been involved with products in the aviation space, healthcare, education, entertainment, finance, I mean, you name it. I'm not expert in any of those fields. I'm expert in product management. So if you are an aviation expert and you want to launch a software for aviation, I will talk to you. I will understand what is it that you need to do and then I document that, I translate that into what needs to happen, right? Um, we use content writers sometimes uh, for you know, blogs and whatnot. They are not experts in my area of expertise. I just talk to them. I answer you know, five or six questions, frequently asked questions. They write it, that becomes the content. Now we can take the same content and tailor it to a podcast format instead of a blog post format. I'm just saying that that, process already exists and we use it. We leverage it already. Yeah. And if I were to answer my own objection, I would say that you don't have to make an hour long podcast. You could start with five minute episodes, right? Little bite-sized things. And, and that's yeah. much easier to do. I want to jump to 
the market potential here. A lot of people roll their eyes when they think about podcasting and everyone started a podcast. If you haven't already got one, then now you're behind the curve. Please don't start a podcast. I think Ryan Holiday wrote an article titled that <laughs> in 2020, there were the number of podcasts out there doubled. There were almost 1 million before that. And I think in 2020 alone, there was additional 1 million that were added. We're still, there are going to be many more. I think there was less than a million at the beginning of 2020. That's pretty incredible. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's growing like wildfire, of course. And it's not just new podcasts that are coming out, but investment in this space. Spotify has spent close to $1 billion over two years on podcasting related acquisitions and production. They're seeing this. I mean, it's obvious to anyone who's following the space that Spotify views podcasting the way that Netflix views original content creation. So they are really trying to own that. So the resources and interest is there. If you, right. uh, it, it's not too late to jump into an idea and in, in, uh, in servicing this industry. And also when you say everybody has a podcast, I would also highlight that from your perspective, from where you stand, you are in the industry. So a lot of people that you meet have podcasts. In my world where I, I don't work directly in the podcasting industry, so I see that a lot of business uh, leaders in my circles, they want to have podcasts, but they don't have podcasts. And their excuses are the, essentially the same that I mentioned in the beginning. When we take the role of a producer and we just say, you show up, we do the rest. And you already mentioned that there is demand. A lot of big companies are investing in it like Spotify. We are probably talking about creating a business with a potential towards getting acquired down the road if we can create something unique enough, especially on the DIY. So I'm thinking of this service slash product as in two pieces. One is DFY, done for you, where it's high-end, expensive, client works directly with the producer, producer is in charge of putting together all the resources, taking everything through, you know, ideating, creating, distributing that podcast and fi figuring out how that fits in a bigger business model and the marketing strategy. So that's like high-end, high price and all that. The other is um, DIY model. And the DIY model is a software platform. You create a very step-by-step, -step, here's a 90 seconds video, you watch it, then you do this. When you have done this, then the next video is gonna open up. So we walk the user through each step of creating and launching and distributing a podcast. That's DIY, it will mm -hmm. be obviously lower cost because it's, yeah, it's DIY and it's automated. The reason why I mentioned DIY as the second evolution of the service, not the first, because creating this platform is going to cost time and resources. DFY is just going to, it's a matter of putting together the right people, the right team. I think DFY would be a good place to start, low cost, and you can validate the idea there. And if it works, then we invest in DIY. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I also think that you don't necessarily need to be an expert in podcast production in order to make this happen. It would be helpful if you could get involved. And I think you could gain the expertise that you need probably in three months if you were to volunteer with a podcaster and say, hey, I'll, uh, I'm trying to learn the ropes about podcasting. I'd love to help you out with your processes and do that for a couple months. You'll figure out what you need to know to be able to put together a team, at least of high caliber folks to do a DFY service. I want to bring in some examples because I think it, it's illustrative for pricing here. I threw out some numbers of you know, 15K or so to do a 
uh, DFY service. I found this example from NPR. How much does it cost to make a hit song? And they chronicled the production of Rihanna's song, Man Down, which I never heard before. Honestly, don't have a lot of interest to go even listen to that one, but I you know, used to listen to Rihanna. For that song alone to make it, it costs $78,000. And then the big, the big cost actually uh, is to roll it out because they want to publish it everywhere. You want it, when you have a new song come out, you need to be on all the radio stations all at once and you, know, you have your ads, you do your interviews, et cetera. That cost $1 million. So for one song in itself, it's $1,078,000 $1, to roll out a song. Podcasting is obviously a little bit different, but you can imagine that if the Obamas are rolling out a podcast on Spotify, it's not going to be a $2,500 service, right? Right. Or you look at this uh, this podcast that Bill Gates just launched with Rashida Jones, right? right? I mean, I'm sure there's a production company behind that. And Bill Gates is not sitting at home doing the editing himself. Absolutely. <laughs> Neither is Rashida Jones. <laughs> yeah. Another example, I'm going to jump uh, across mediums here to book publishing. The listener may be familiar with the name Tucker Max. He was a uh, kind of frat boy. Sort notorious. Of notorious. Yeah. He was, he was kind of a, a lewd and I mean, he would self-described horrible person at the time, but he wrote funny books and now he's got a business. It was originally titled book in a box. They've rebranded to scribe media. They have four different plans, publishing only guided author, professional and elite ghostwriting ranging from 12,000, the low end to 120,000 as a minimum investment. Again, it's a little bit different for book publishing versus podcasting, of course, but these examples in more established industries, I think, can be inspiring for what the carrot is out here. Can I take us to the, a more modest end just to give people a place to start too? Yeah, go for it. Yeah, it's just some interesting you know, success stories, uh, even from the indie hackers community. Actually, Bradley Denham, I think he is the podcast editor for the Indie Hackers podcast. And it looks like he has built his own little podcast production company called Record Edit Podcast and started, I think he started with Cortland as, as his first, uh, he just kind of gave him a call and got in that market and, and started editing the podcast probably for free or very little. And now he's making 15,000 a month, you know, doing what he loves, um, editing great podcasts. So there's lots of entry points into this industry, big or small, where you can make a good living uh, by doing something fun and interesting. I just want to throw in this, your marathon running inspiration, Dave Goggins used Scribe Media to release his new book. Oh, really? Fascinating. Interesting. Ethan just did this crazy thing where he ran four miles every four hours, inspired by Dave Goggins for 48 hours. Yeah, <laughs> it sounds horrible. but <laughs> Waking up at two and six in the morning. I know a few people who use Scribe Media, uh, and I also know a couple of people who are associated with Scribe Media, a couple of, uh, one partner. So what they have done, something interesting, if you look at their platform, first is, this is what you need to do to launch your book. Here's a checklist. Just go through the checklist. You can launch your book. 
well, you don't want to do that, then here, then you mentioned different price points, right? Different, different type of services. So they have all that. The few people who launched their books through Scribe Media and paid big, big bucks, I asked a couple of them and they said, no, it was a good service. Even though they were, hiring at, uh, they were paying at a pretty high price point. The key there was the gentleman, two gentlemen who said that it was totally worth it, worth every penny. These guys are very busy and they are very high price uh, professionals, right? So the writing those books for them fit right into their brand and fit right into their marketing. It's not just a fun side project. At the same time, I know one person who went through Scribe Media and she wasn't very happy with the service because she just, she just wanted to have the word author next to her name, but it did not fit into anything bigger than just writing that one book. Right. Don't make this investment if it's a vanity project. You need to have a, a, a ROI imagined. Yes. And I feel that the podcast model that we are talking about, it's not a vanity project. It's not the next shiny object. It has to be part of something bigger in your marketing or branding strategy. Then you would be willing to pay those bigger bucks that would justify that lot of work that Chris uh, mentioned earlier that needs to go into creating the content and everything else. As you share in that example, I feel like I have to revise my, maybe I undersold how difficult this is to do for someone who doesn't have experience in the industry, right? Tucker Max has written several books. He's four times New York Times uh, bestselling author. I wonder how quickly someone can go from no experience in the podcasting industry to take on Bill Gates' podcast rollout. Well, I don't want, I don't want to, I want you to pull back too far because I did have a follow-up on what you said, which I think is an interesting point to make. I think sometimes beginners have advantages that they don't realize, especially if you're younger too, you know, because you just sort of look fresh and fun and everybody wants to help you out and stuff like that. Beginners don't realize things like that. And then they just let that opportunity pass. But there's another advantage to being a beginner is you can actually really focus in a lot better than someone who's more experienced. You know, pick one manual on how to start a podcast, right? Like buy a book or find a mentor who knows what they're doing and just dive really deep and do exactly what it says to do. And you'd be surprised a lot of the problems with people starting things and trying to go off a template is they get distracted and they don't use the template. They just start to pick a piece here and pick a piece here. The more experienced you are, the more likely you are to say, oh, I'm just going to look a little bit at this. I'm going to try a little bit of this. I'm going to try a little bit of this. And you have so much information, you don't know how to focus. Good example is I, I remember reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad when I was just out of college. And within a year or two, I had bought a house with my friends. You know, and it was like, and people were looking, oh, it's just like 20 something kid over here, you know, buying this house. And when I look back and think why, you know, it was difficult, but, but, and it took some kind of chutzpah to, to, to pull it off. But why was it easy in some way? Because I was just following directions. You know, I, I wasn't trying to make it sort of this unique and individual process. So there's, there's two sides of the coin, put it that way. The other thing I wanted to address is this uh, multiple price points model and, you know, the vanity project piece of it too, you know, for those smaller end price points, it can be a vanity project, right? If you just want to give somebody a step-by-step, -step, build your own podcast, go through the software, fine, do, do whatever you want. We'll make it inexpensive. It can be successful financially or not, it doesn't matter. But I think that's one of the beauties of having multiple price points for what you offer. One of them is that you can have the opportunity to have the high price point, but another one that's really great some people just have a low price point 
And then the people that hire them expect the world out of that price point. When people can compare, oh, you have a second tier and a third tier, and here's what's included in those that is not included in the low price point, which I am going to take advantage of, then people feel they're a lot more familiar with what they're going to get. And you become a lot less obligated, you know, to give them the world from a low price point. So that would be an interesting model for this project. And also you get to treat it like a funnel. So somebody comes in, first we give them free content, just, you know, here's the check checklist, here's the, the recipe that you talked about, Ethan, do whatever you want to do, use whichever tool you want to use. Then the next step is, okay, you want to use our tools, it's going to cost you X. You need more help or, or your, what you did by yourself is successful, now it has grown, you need extra help, you need somebody doing it for you, then it becomes X plus Y. The price keeps going up. And in my work in other spaces, it happens all the time. One example, I write articles for Forbes and other magazines sometime as a thought leader. So initially what I was doing is I would think of an idea, I would do all my research, then I would write, then I would edit, blah, 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 blah. It would take me a month to write one article, and then I would publish that. Well, as it became successful, now I don't have the time, and I want to do it more frequently, and I don't want to wait a month to write one article. So now my formula is a little bit different. I think of an idea, I create an outline, I use somebody to do the research, then I write, then I get somebody to edit, and then it goes to press. And my frequency and speed and everything else is increased, right? Over time, as, as your needs increase, you got to put in more resources. So one piece that you and I talked about beforehand on this idea was um, one of the unique advantages that you have at, at Veztech or just as a person is that you originate from Pakistan and you've made a connection and you basically have a back office full of resources um, in Pakistan where you can get things done and the price points are a lot more affordable, but you know that doesn't mean the people on the other end can't make a good living because it's sort of a different economy. So do you see any specific points where that's an advantage with this particular project? Um, is it within the audio editing or you know, sort of the marketing or, you know, building the software end of it or all of it, you know, what are your thoughts about taking advantage of those resources? Absolutely. So those markets work perfectly when it's about the grunt work, you know, labor intensive tasks, audio editing, video editing. Um, I mean, rough estimate, video editor, audio editor is going to cost you probably three times less on average than the U.S. And we're talking about top video editors or audio editors. Like when I hire people over there, I just find the top talent that I can find. And I don't just go on places like Upwork and other websites like that. As you mentioned, I have a back office in Pakistan. I have a business manager over there. I have team over there. So when we need somebody, they're the ones doing the initial screening. They're the one running the ads, finding people, initial interviews and whatnot. And then you know they present two or three candidates to me and I can pick the top person from that, whichever field that might be. The cost goes way down, right? So compared to the U.S. market, about 3x cost difference. And when you bring that work back to the U.S., you can sell it at a you know, hefty profit, profit margin. It's an outsourcing model. The difference is that people working over there, they are employees of Vestec or they are hired by Vestec at least. So they're trained by Vestec. It's not a random person picked on one of these outsourcing websites. Way back when I did use those outsourcing websites and my experience just wasn't that great. I expect, expect top quality work regardless where you're working. Wherever you are, in, in the context of your economy, your market, I'll pay you top dollars. 
but I expect top quality work as well because I'm attaching my name to it. I'm selling it to my customers. What do you think is the price point of, so you said, well, actually, let's, let's just put it out there. So I was going to say, what's the price point of our first customer? Like what level do we want to aim for to kind of get our feet wet? And we said you would be the first customer. And is it something where we're just going to, it's at cost and the team is just trying to make it happen? Are you, would you sort of like invest in the production of that first thing? And you had a number in mind. And then also, I think beyond that, like second customer, are we looking to get somebody who's in the $15,000 range or the $2,500 range or and you don't have to answer that if you don't want Chris. Can. <laughs> well, I threw out there the, uh, the 10 to 15 K. How much do we charge Sonny? We're, we've, we've got, we've got him. We've got him in the corner. We've got the expertise. No, I get friends and family discount too. Yeah. I mean, if I, so honestly, if I were to approach this project, I would be thinking about it from the, uh, the perspective of how much additional time do I have? And, and I've got one, maybe room for one additional opportunity and I'm going to charge accordingly. So that would be probably 15 K to do something like that. I could make it work for, for 15 K the way that I think about pricing, you can pick any number under the sun for this. Some, there are some people out there who would say that they could launch your podcast for 250 bucks and you can, you, you can find someone you might be able to find halfway decent work for that. I'm sure there are people out there who are charging hundred K more to, uh, to launch podcasts. So that pricing is just really dependent on your situation and how big of a role you think you can step into. Cause if I were charging Sonny 15 K I'd probably have to develop some systems and, uh, and we'd have to lever up. I, I honestly, I don't think that our podcast is, is at the point where you could say that it was worth a 15 K start. Would you say so, Ethan? You mean for us to pay someone 15 K to get it? How much would it cost to replicate what we have done on run with it to start? If we had to do nothing, yes, it would cost at least $15,000. I don't if think it was so. just you and I, me showing up. Yeah. I mean, we've done so much work behind the scenes yeah, and I mean, research. And, yeah. I'm not, I'm not saying getting to all the episodes. I'm saying getting the artwork. I mean, even in so, podcast production costs, we've spent, you know, multiple thousands of dollars, right? At yeah, fair point. enough. For, but I, just, just on this point, I was going to say it's always easy to forget how difficult things were when uh, that you did a year ago, for example, or a year and a half ago. And I remember, you know, just a few minutes ago, Chris, you were saying, oh, you know, it's not that hard and da, 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 da. But I was looking back, actually, just happened to recently over our podcast, you know, Google Docs documentation and all the brainstorming and things that we were thinking about. What questions are we going to ask the guest? Oh, you know, what's this going to be? What platform are we going to use? What do we do this? What do we do this? What kind of microphone should I have? What kind of that? And it was a, it was an uncertain moment, you know, like we didn't know if we'd be doing this podcast, you know, beyond 10 or 20 episodes, we, we were unsure of how it's going to go. So I think that's one thing to keep in mind. If somebody does have some experience or expertise in this, you may, you have a lot more to offer than you may think, even if it's just setting up someone where you are today, um, as opposed to where you were a year and a half ago, you know, what's the price point for you that it would be worth it? Um, I think to get, well, if we were working with Sani, well, I think it'd be interesting if we work with Sani very specifically as like a, as like a prototype, I think it'd be worth it if he put in some money. Sani, I think is interested in partnering on an actual project like this. I mean, he, he likes this idea. <laughs> no, I, I love the idea. 
if he was interested in being part of the business, I think it would be, yeah, it would be different. Yeah. Some of the best projects that I have uh, done tech startups were the ones that originated from a need. We launched a company in 2019 in the Philippines in the music equipment space, DJ equipment space, very narrow niche, DJ equipment in the Filipino market. So I'm like in Manila in November 2019, launching the product on stage with national media and everything. And that came out of a very specific need. And the need was that my co-founder, she's a Filipina DJ based in San Francisco, and she was traveling for a concert for an event, some equipment broke down and she couldn't find the equipment in time where she was. And she's like, well, we got to create a platform where DJs can connect and they can buy, sell, trade equipment. So that's one example. Slack, you all know Slack. Slack came out of a need. The company created Slack, Slack for their internal communication. The company was doing something entirely different. But then Slack became so successful because it came out of their own need. They understood the need. I'm excited about this idea because it serves, it came out of a need. It's not just, you know, fun project. It will be a fun project. Uh, fun is important, but it originates right. from a need. That's, you know, that's the important part. As for the cost, one a quick comment on that. I know several professionals in different fields and their like hourly rate, typically the, the, the range that I'm thinking is like around 500, five, $500, $700. I'm not talking about like very high end lawyers or very high. I'm talking about like middle market. That's about five, $600 an hour. Typically, you may have seen that number quite often. Now, imagine how many hours have you already put in in learning how this whole system works and how much time you'll have to put in if you were the producer, Chris, for example, or Ethan, with a new client, how many hours will you have to put in? That's one way in building on top of cost, even though that's not the only way to price something. That's one way to price something cost plus. So I'm putting in X amount of dollars and this is the worth of uh, X amount of hours and this is the worth of each hour and this is the cost. That's one way of looking at it. The other is the perception of the quality and, and the competitive marketplace and all that. We actually have a, a pricing guru in our network. Ethan knows him too. We can even bring him in and, and get his input when it comes to pricing. Well, I was going to say, if, if you're working with someone like partner, like Sandy, who was interested in being a partner as well in sort of you know, an advocate or even a partner in the business, then I think you could charge a little bit less. And then even in exchange for him utilizing his outsourcing and connecting you, oh, hey, we need to find an editor. And he goes, oh yeah, I think we could find someone. And then you just manage them. I think that's a special case. Um, to put a number on it, just because you asked the listeners probably like, yeah, but what was the number? <laughs> yeah, I think I think you could shoot for something like 25,000. And I think it'd be very interesting to go to those people who have used the book in a box. Right. Like go to people who have used these services that are higher price points. Maybe you even start out with, you know, the 50 or 100 plus uh, K price point. But you focus on those folks that, you know, have already paid that much to invest in some sort of uh, marketing channel or an, an output or a product. One quick data point I can mention on this. Recently, one of the organizations that was mentioned in this conversation earlier, I'm not going to name it. They gave twenty five thousand dollars to somebody. And they said, here's $25,000, go interview 10 people, create 10 podcast episodes and bring them to us. And they just handed them $25,000. It happened. She took that $25,000 yeah. and created, I think it was 10 episodes and gave it, gave them back to that organization. They did whatever they did with it. So that's another data point to support what Ethan was saying. There you go. Yeah. There's a big carrot out there. Sonny, we're at time. Where can the listener go to find out more about you? Well, the best way to reach me is via LinkedIn. 
And on LinkedIn, I am Sani, S-A-N-I. You've just got the four four letters? That, that's all? Well, of course, LinkedIn.com forward slash in forward slash Sani, S-A-N-I. That's all. But you're the Sani. Wow, that's incredible. Excellent. There you go. Oh, and you can also just look up online Kareem Abdul's shorter, more shorter, intelligent wiser cousin. cousin that's right. <laughs> wiser, wiser. We didn't wiser. say more intelligent. Hassani <laughs> Abdul-Jabbar, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. It's my pleasure. Thank you. The podcast hosting for the Run With It podcast is provided by Transistor.fm. They host our MP3 files, generate our RSS feed, provide us with analytics, and help us distribute the show to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. If you want to start your own podcast or you want to switch to Transistor, go to transistor.fm slash run, that's R-U-N, and get 15% off your first year.